You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Happy Sunday, everybody. Welcome to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I am your host, Al Melchior, and I'm going to be joined today by one of my FanRag analyst colleagues, Greg Jewett. And uh, you can follow Greg on Twitter at uh, G Jewett, uh, J, that's G J E W E T T nine, number nine. Uh, great follow, great analyst, and uh, be sure to check out his stuff at FanRag. So uh, we're just going to go right to Greg right away because we have some actual trade news to talk about today. So, Greg, uh, welcome very much to the show. Thanks, Al. So uh, let's dig right in here. Brandon Phillips, I mean, I think this is hardly a surprise that Brandon Phillips has been traded, but uh, then again, we've been waiting a long time for it, so I think we've had some uncertainty about where he'd be playing, maybe how much he'd be playing this season. Uh, going to the Braves, so he'll be the, the Braves' second baseman, and in return, uh, the, the Reds get a couple of pitchers, uh, not really prospect pitchers, but one sort of a familiar name, Andrew McCurahan who was briefly with the Marlins, uh, came to them, I think, as a, as a Rule 5 player. And then also Carlos uh, Portuando. So he's a 29-year-old. I, I don't think uh, either of these players that are ones we're going to be really looking at in fantasy, but there's still there's a lot of fallout here. And maybe start with Phillips himself. Now, Greg, in our uh, rankings, our second base rankings for FanRag, you had him ranked 28, so you were underwhelmed by his prospects for this year, but me even less so. He didn't even crack my top 30. He was number 31 just behind Colton Wong and uh, just ahead of Jorge Polanco. And yet last year, Phillips was a top 15 Roto second baseman, so I, I suppose I could talk about my reasons for overlooking him, but uh, I guess does this change anything for you, Greg? And uh, what was your thinking about Phillips uh, when we did the rankings? Uh, I was just looking at the, the trends from the last couple of years. I mean, he's kept himself relevant the last two seasons with the stolen bases, um, and, but he's, he's benefited from uh, inflated bat up. He's been at 315, 312 the last two years to keep his average in the 290s. I don't know. None of us know how the uh, Atlanta ballpark's going to play. Uh, all the stuff on Twitter suggests that he's probably going to bat six, and this leaves Dansby Swanson in the two-hole with the Braves, um, and and this opens up uh, obviously a playing opportunity for Jose Peraza and possibly Dilson Herrera if the Reds can move Zach Cozart as well. Right, and Cozart in a very similar situation. In fact, the Reds were fairly close to trading Cozart to the Mariners last year, so it wouldn't be much of a surprise to see him go in the in the coming weeks, maybe even the coming days. So I do think we need to take a look at both Jose Peraza and Dilson Herrera for the coming year. But does this change anything for you in terms of how you're going to rank or target Phillips on draft day? Um, I think Phillips is kind of like a guy you don't go into a draft to target, but if you kind of let second base uh, sink as far as targeting, which is not a bad idea this year, I don't think you're hating getting Brandon Phillips, but I also think this is going to take away some of his RBIs. Um, you know, moving down to six with Atlanta is a lot different than hitting fourth at times with the Reds. So uh, this kind of lowers his value, I think, a little bit more. Plus, you add in the fact that they're grooming Ozzy Albies to take his spot eventually. So um, he did keep his no trade clause as a part of the deal, so he still controls where he can end up 
later in the year. But I, I have a hard time believing he's going to play full-time all the year at Atlanta with the way they're trying to get the youth movement going. Greg, I, I do agree with all that. And I think that this is probably not that we were overwhelmed with him to start with. But I think this is a downward move in fantasy value for Brandon Phillips. But it's just it's a little bit confusing to me because I look at my own rankings and I left him off the top 30. But last year, this is somebody who had more roto value than Starlin Castro, who's somebody that we all ranked in the the 20s. Uh, I have him uh, Castro 26th. You had him 24th. So again, not somebody we're ranking that highly. But uh, again, Castro is somebody that actually didn't perform as well from a roto perspective as Phillips did. I'm not sure that I'm as much of a downer on Phillips's batting average, but I am concerned about him not only losing value because of, of ultimately being replaced by Ozzy Albies, but because, and you mentioned the stolen bases, only 14 for 22 last year, Phillips in stolen bases. But he's rebounded from uh, bad uh, ratios before, success ratios with stolen bases. He's also rebounded late in his career with stolen base totals. So I almost wonder if we do ignore his potential contribution to steals uh, at our own risk. It's possible, plus we don't know how aggressive he's going to be lower in the lineup, but it'll all come out in the wash. Like I said, I, it's like you don't you don't get excited when you draft Phillips, but at the same token, he probably doesn't kill you either. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would agree. Definitely wouldn't be excited. And just to give some idea, I mentioned I have him behind Colton Wong, and I would still keep him there. Josh Harrison, Brandon Drury, Jajurko, Starlin Castro, who I just mentioned before. Those are all players that I have ranked ahead of Phillips. And even without the trade, I would have felt good about that, in spite of the fact, again, that Phillips ranked relatively high among second base and roto value last year. But let's go ahead and move on to some of the players whose value also changes as a result of this. Jose Peraza, do you, what do you expect from him, and does this change your expectations at all? Um, well, it gives him a clear path to playing time, which is something that's been uh, hotly debated on fan graphs and stuff. People were suggesting that Peraza was being overdrafted at his present ADP due to the fact that he was blocked by Phillips, but uh, this definitely gives him a chance. It's going to be interesting to see with Peraza, just with the small sample size last year, his OBP shot up to 352, which was 30 points higher than his OBP at AAA. Usually players see uh, regression when they move up, not not positive or, or an increase of that of that much, so um, it'll also be interesting to see where Peraza will hit. I mean, if they do move Cozart, he could slot in two, and you've got you'll have two very fast people in Hamilton and Peraza hitting in front of Jose or excuse me, Joey Votto. So that could be unique. But last year, that 361 BAPIP and the 21 uh, hard contact rate with that 27% line drive percentage, I'm I'm a little wary he can carry that through a whole season. So um, for those targeting stolen bases, though, his stock's going to go up. So the, the ADP he's at right now, about 120 or so, is probably going to shoot up, I would say, at least 10 spots this week. Probably, and I think I can probably rule out the possibility that I'm going to have Jose Peraza on any teams this year then if that's the price it's going to take. And for many of the reasons that you mentioned, the one that really stands out for me is that hard contact rate from last season of 21%. I don't buy the high line drive rate uh, being sustained over this season. So, 
you know, I think it'd be easy to look at the 361 BABIP overall that Peraza put up last season and have some mild skepticism, just, but say, well, this is a speedy guy who's going to get a lot of infield hits. Maybe he'll be a 340 BABIP guy, and he'll still help you a lot in batting average. I don't think so. I, I would be actually very surprised if he hit even 280 this year. And so then you're really counting on the steals. And this is also somebody who's been pretty consistently inefficient as a base stealer. So I just don't know that there's enough there for him to to really produce. Um, you know, in our second base preview, I wrote something about D. Gordon and his lack of hard contact coming back from suspension last year and how that worried me. But the one thing I know that Gordon will produce are the steals because he's an efficient base stealer. So I'm just not mm-hmm. going to give Peraza the same somewhat limited benefit of the doubt that I would give D. Gordon. So, yeah, I, uh, I agree with you there, Al. It's going to be it's going to be hard for him to. He has to steal thirty five to forty bases to justify where he's being drafted right now. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, and I have some real doubts about Pras's ability to do that. So let's uh, go to the other part of the double play combination, or at least potential part. Assuming again that Zach Kozart does get uh, traded at some point before opening day, Dilson Herrera probably uh, then uh, taking over uh, for him. And uh, do you like Herrera's chances any better to contribute in in mixed leagues? Um, I think he has a much better chance now. And again, this hinges upon Kozar, but I think the Reds, as uh, their beat writer C. Trent Rosencrantz suggested, that the Reds are kind of going to just sift through the market and see what happens and, and hope possibly that Another team shortstop gets hurt, and then they need Zach Kozart. But it doesn't make sense for the Reds with the direction they're heading to to carry to carry Kozart through the season. So they could ship Peraza to shortstop, and then Herrera at second base, who he's also inefficient on on steals because last year in the minors he had seven stolen bases, but he was caught nine times. But he also put up 15 home runs with those seven steals. So he's He's a player that has a little pop. His swing gets a little long at times, but um, he could be a potential, uh, you know, 15 home run slash 7A stolen base guy in the majors, depending on the amount of the bats he gets this year. Well, does he uh, crack your your top 30 uh, now? That uh, they're, they're, I, I think I have more confidence in Herrera getting some playing time. Uh, it sounds like you do as oh. well. Uh, does that make a difference? Yeah, I, I I haven't run his numbers yet to, to put him in uh, versus my values at second base. As you know, my, uh, my, my son being in a hockey tournament kind of hamstrung me this morning. But um, it's, it's really going to depend on Kozart. I'm willing to, to look at him in the top 30 if they do trade Kozart just because uh, I think the combination of the power and speed, um, he, has, he has 149 major league at bats with six home runs in them. Um, and that's a positive ballpark as opposed to playing at City Field uh, for him to be a part of. So uh, there's definitely intrigue with him now. It's just a matter of seeing how a couple more dominoes fall uh, to see where he goes. But uh, this is another player that, in like the NS- NFBC drafts, is going to start seeing his uh, ADP tick up as people are going to start trying to stash him away more. Yeah, I'm pretty certain he's not going to crack my top 30. Uh and you made a, a comment about the long swing and that, yet yeah, there's 15 home run potential there. Maybe even, tw- I think, 20 home run potential, especially mm-hmm. playing in Great American Ballpark. But his, prof- his batted ball profile is somebody who is very fly ball dependent, uh, 
doesn't really use the whole field that much. I think he's really going to be a detriment to batting average. And I view Herrera as sort of a poor man's Jed Jerko. And I've just got Jerko ranked 27th. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'd, I'd make room for Herrera there. Um, it'd be an interesting guy to use in deep leagues for the power. I'm not even really looking at him as a stolen base source because he's just been so horrendous in terms of his efficiency <laughs> yeah. that I'd be really yeah. surprised if he had much of a green light from Brian Price. Yeah, no, he's he's not 12-team or 10-team relevant. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I'm not even, I'm not even so sure about 15-team, but... Uh, we shall see, and we'll see if he even gets the playing time. Now, how about Ozzy Albis uh, moving on to the Atlanta part of the picture? Uh, this, I guess, is not maybe great news for him because I do see Brandon Phillips as being a little bit more of an obstacle to a call-up and to regular playing time than Jace Peterson or the Jace Peterson-Sean Rodriguez uh, combo. And uh, should mention the Sean Rodriguez uh, injury is uh, maybe something that helped to expedite this, this trade. So we may not see much of Sean Rodriguez this year, but uh, what are you looking at now in terms of Albies uh, as a uh, when there be a potential call up, and what do he do when he does get called up? That's a tough one. I think it's going to be at least a Super Two date before they would even entertain uh, bringing Albies up. Um, I know they're grooming uh, Albies and Swanson to be like the uh, the next coming of Trammell and uh, Whitaker, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll have to see how all that plays out. Um, they're definitely a good contact guy. It's going to be interesting to, uh, you know, this this is another one where it's, you're waiting for dominoes. So the, how the Braves are going to approach things, how they start in a new stadium. I know they want to be successful with the ballpark opening, but they also want to stay with the uh, stay with the process. So I don't think they're going to rush Ozzie like they did Swanson, just give him a little more time to uh, season, get some more bats at the high level in the minors. And uh, once he shows, we all know he's ready with the glove. Once he shows he's ready with the bat, I think they'll be ready to uh, to move him up. Yeah, and I think this is not great for his 2017 value, but certainly somebody mm-hmm. I'm still very interested in. Dynasty leagues, and, and maybe even as a draft and stash for late this year. So uh, th- now this mm-hmm. is not the only news item. We have some Dodgers news to cover. So when we come back from break, we're going to talk about the latest uh, change to the Dodgers outfield and uh, what that all means for uh, the many people involved there. So stay tuned. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. This is Al Melchior, and I'm here with Greg Jude today, also of Fan rag, fantasy sports. And uh, now the big news, of course, was the Brandon Phillips trade to the Braves, but some other more minor moves uh, involving the Dodgers. One, they uh, re-signed Chase Utley, but uh, of course with Logan Forsythe uh, at second base, we can't really expect Utley to play a significant role at the Dodgers. And also another move that maybe was overlooked was signing Franklin Gutierrez uh, and muddying up an already really, really muddy outfield situation. So, Greg, what do you make of all this now? I mean, we could probably even add to this this number, but uh, there are, I'd say, at least six players involved here with the outfield mix. Uh, we got Jock Peterson, Yasiel Puig, Andrew Tolles, Trace Thompson, Gutierrez himself, and Andre Ethier still hanging around. And that's not even mentioning some prospects we might see later in the season. So how are you sorting all this out? Uh, it, it's going to be difficult. Uh, you're, you're definitely looking at at least one platoon, um, and it just it, it's going it to be a matter of uh, what players link up with each other. But 
you're probably looking at Andrew Tolles and Gutierrez or Ethier and Gutierrez or, you know, it, it kind of hamstrings Tolles a little bit because he could back up Peterson in center field, but then they're both left-handed. So it, it's interesting. I, I, You know, you sign Gutierrez for one thing because he kills left-handed pitching. So, you know, he had a 33.3 home run per fly ball percentage versus lefties last year, and that's that's why he's there with a 143 weighted runs created plus. So he hit 280 and then with a slugging of 511. So he has a skill as far as hitting lefties, but it's a matter now, now how are they going to piece that outfield together? Do you have any sort of rooting interest here? Uh, I, I'll <laughs> hold my opinion for a second, but uh, is there a particular <laughs> alignment that you're actually hoping to see? Um, I'm probably owner. leaning – I'm leaning towards the tolls because I would like to have a chance at some of his stolen bases in left field with Gutierrez. I think that, that maximizes that, that area. Um, I don't know that Gutierrez can play center to give Peterson a, a break because they got so many lefties out there. Probably Peterson in center as much as he can handle against lefty pitchers and then Puig and right until they can make a decision on what they're going to do with him. There's, there's so no. many moving parts here. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Greg, I have noticed, uh, you know, just in the short time that we've been at FanRag together that we see these things the same way a lot. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm rooting for the same alignment. Uh, Jock Peterson of this group is the one I'm really excited about this year. I think he's also the one who probably has to worry about playing time the least. But I love his chan- mm-hmm. chances for a breakout. And it, I thought that last year he really made some improvements over his rookie season. Puig, still yeah, young it's, enough it's... that – I'm sorry? Oh, I was going to say, people are really sleeping on Peterson's second half. He he was phenomenal. I mean, I know it, it was only a 260 batting average, but his OBP spiked up to 380 after the All-Star break with a slugging of 520. I mean, people are falling all over themselves to take Kyle Schwarber really early, and you can get Peterson for over 100 picks later, and I think he can match him this year as far as value. He can't in runs, but if, if Schwarber ends up leading off, but I think people are really, really... I think people are so sour because they thought Peterson was going to be a 30-30 guy that they're kind of ignoring him. He's the perfect post-hype guy that could really make an impact this year. I agree with you, and I think any draft that I'm in that does not involve you, uh, there'll be a good chance that I wind up with him, or at least I'm hoping I do. Uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting when we draft together, Greg, because <laughs> I think we have a lot of the same sleepers and, and value guys well, uh, yeah, in we already. way. Yeah, we already had that when we did the one with uh, Bender. Yeah. It was always like, oh, that was my next guy, and oh, that was my next guy. So it's <laughs> nice that we're in such congruence, but uh, it'll be a lot better when we're not in drafts together and we can scoop up all those people. But, you know, uh, the other thing that stood out with me about Peterson, he had a 28.6 home run per fly, per fly ball percentage in the second half, which was tied with Chris Davis. And yeah, his so hard the- contact was 45.2 in the, in the second half of the year, so... You know, that was the that was the fifth highest hard contact with at least 200 plate appearances in the second half last year. Um, you know, I'm not saying Jack Peterson is going to light the world afire, but I could see a repeat of that 260 average. And if he can keep that on base and the slugging up, he, he's going really underdrafted. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was just going to say as well, that uh, if his ADP stays in the same neighborhood, he doesn't need to hit much better than 260 to return a, a great deal of value. So... Uh, we, we clearly like Peterson, uh, Puig. Uh, it's it's sort of hard to know exactly what's going to happen with him, but he's still young enough that 
perhaps he can get back to where he was the first two seasons. And then you talked about rooting for a Tolls Gutierrez uh, a combination, a, a platoon. And yeah, I like the speed power potential of Andrew Tolls. And you're probably going to be able to get that very late or on waivers, I would think. Even if he, if there, if there are clear signals that he's going to have the larger part of a platoon situation, and Gutierrez, yeah, he's somebody who's not going to play regularly, but in that ballpark and in weeks where maybe the Dodgers do face a lot of lefties, he'd be kind of a, a nice guy to stream once in a while. Oh, absolutely. If they if they have a matchup with like three or four lefties coming in a week, he's a perfect person to move in in a head-to-head or. Uh, especially target in DFS. I mean, the DFS people know that when there's a lefty pitching, you you try and get Gutierrez at a when his when his price is depressed. Yeah. Do you like him in that kind of role uh, versus Trace Thompson, who I think does have some similar appeal as a platoon player? Um, he does, but I, I think this tells me that the Dodgers don't trust his back being fully healthy. Yeah. No, I think that's a good uh, message to take away from that. Well, we've, so we've talked about six players so far. I mean, we haven't really talked much about Andre Ethier. Uh, I'll take the silence as a sign that neither of us is really excited about him or looking for, for much from him. Uh, forever hold your peace unless you uh, have some, some comment on, on Ethier. Nah, I mean, he could be a good pinch hitter for them off of the bench, but I, I just I, I can't see him carving out a big enough role to have fantasy relevance this year without the Los Angeles yeah. Well, then let's confuse things even more and talk about Alex Verdugo and Cody Bellinger, who are two of the Dodgers' best hitting prospects. Both play some outfield. Of course, Bellinger's main position is first base, but I think he's pretty much blocked there. So there might, as much as there is a log jam in the outfield, that might be Bellinger's best chance. Do you see either Verdugo or Bellinger having much impact in 2017? Uh, depending on what they do with uh, Puig, I think the, the signing Gutierrez and then still having Thompson around gives them a chance to set up two platoons. Um, I found it interesting when I was, you know, you, you and I both know this, is that we have to read as much from the beat writers as we can. Uh, the Dodgers um, suggested that Bellinger is going to be looked at at all three outfield, outfield spots this spring, so they're going to play in the left, center, and right to see what he can handle. And he did all he did all of the spots in the minors last year as well. So, I think they're grooming Bellinger to uh, get some outfield time just to get his bat eventually up there. So I would think in the second half we could see uh, Bellinger make an impact for fantasy. Probably not till then, uh, unless there was an injury to Tolls or Peterson. But um, the fact it tells me if they're going to look at him at all three outfield spots that he's going to be up uh, sooner rather than later. I know uh, one of my good friends on Twitter, he's been targeting Bellinger about the 31st round in NFBC drafts, um, you know, perfect time after starters to, to get a little late-round thunder of a player that could make an impact. You know, they, they moved him up to AAA last year. He had three home runs in his first 11 at-bats once he got to the uh, hitter-friendly PCL. So his numbers are probably being inflated in the minors this year, but he's still a good power bat with some speed down there that can contribute later on. So what sort of league could you see yourself drafting Bellinger? Let's just say 23 rounds. So just to, for now, just sort of ignore the possibility of reserved rounds, um, a 23 round draft. What's the depth of the league where you could see t- 
taking that flyer on Belger and, and stashing him for however long it might take? Uh, in only 23 rounds, that's hard to, you're, you're getting up into the 18s or 20s. I mean, I want to think he's going to be up there, but uh, I'm probably going to keep a roster spot with, with that short of a roster, uh, more for somebody that's closer. You know, I, I'm intrigued by Bellinger, but I'm not. And then a PC where you only get 50 picks, I, I would definitely be looking to, to stash him on the bench, but not in a, not in a normal mix. Uh, well, then I would probably guess that you're less interested in Verdugo, but uh, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, maybe some NL relevance for him or just uh, dynasty only? Where Where are you thinking of uh, targeting it's him? It's possible because uh, you were talking about stolen base proficiency. He was two for eight last year, so I think he needs a little more, a little more work down below. Um, Intrigued by both players, but yeah, it's it's definitely in a keeper league. Like when I do my my home draft, where we get our keeper league picks in the uh, in the reserve round, I wouldn't mind stashing Bellinger or something like that. That's a thirteen team, but we keep pretty deep rosters, so that's a perfect opportunity where you can we keep forty man rosters. So that's a nice place where you can stash somebody. But yeah, the, the shallower it goes, I think the less these two have make an impact. Yeah, and no, I, I agree, and I really don't see Verdugo as, as somebody to target in a redraft league. Uh, you know, for one thing, he's he's still just 20. Uh, you mentioned the stolen bases. That's not something you're going to be able to, to count on necessarily. Not that he was really a huge compiler in that category at the lower levels anyway, but he just may be a, com, a complete non-entity as far as that category goes. And not really a whole lot of power, Um you know, thus far, again, you know, pretty young for the levels he's playing at. But, you know, I could see him maybe, if there were the potential for him to uh, play regularly this year, I think, you know, maybe more like Nomar Mazzara last year where we were projecting a lot of future growth for him. But I think that the reaction to him actually getting an opportunity might have been a little bit overheated given, given his uh, experience and uh, what he, you know, produced in the upper, upper levels of the minors. Yeah, that's, those are probably good thoughts on both of them. So I think Bellinger's probably a little more major league ready, and I think if he has a big spring, it'll uh, it'll push the Dodgers a little more. Um, but we also have to remember the Dodgers are, are playing for a championship this year, so I don't know how much youth they're looking to infuse. That's a very good point as well. Maybe something to keep in mind if you are considering Bellinger in the later rounds. Uh, well, it's time for break again, Greg, but uh, we're going to, when we come back, make a little trip down I-5 and take a look at a Padres rotation that's probably not getting much attention. I think it's sort of intriguing, so we'll discuss why when we return. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I am Al Melchior, and on the line with us is Greg Jewett, also from FanRag, and... Uh, we're going to take our discussion. We were talking about the Dodgers before the break. We're going to head south just a couple hours to San Diego. Talk about the Padres rotation. I'm guessing not a lot of people are probably putting a whole lot of focus on the Padres rotation. But, uh, you know, I probably should have started this off by asking, what do Clayton Richard, Trevor Cahill, and Travis Wood have in common? And if you'd said, well, they were all in the Cubs bullpen last year, that would be one correct answer. <laughs> but pretty soon they could also be part of the uh, Padres mix, uh, pitching mix. Uh, we've already got Clayton Richard and Trevor Cahill as part of the competition for rotation spots. And uh, now there are reports that they're interested in Travis Wood and also uh, not a former Cub, but Jared Weaver as well. Uh, 
So uh, I guess actually, let me just take a quick left turn here, Greg. And is there any interest on your part for Jared Weaver in any kind of format? Uh, it'd have to be pretty deep. It's just <laughs> hard to live with that that fastball velocity. I mean, it's almost hard to watch sometimes because, you know, I think you and I can both remember when he was a top fantasy option. And now just to see him uh, be so hittable, it's it's tough. Yeah. Well, he probably does stand a, a decent chance if the Padres acquire him to, to crack that rotation. Uh, on roster resource right now, and again, these are just uh, their best guesses, but slotted into the A spot is Yuli Chassin, who didn't even hold down a rotation spot for much of 2016. And then you have Clayton Richard in, included in that mix and Trevor Cahill, and then rounding that out, Christian Friedrich, who made more starts than anybody for the Padres last season, believe it or not, and Paul Clemens, uh, the journeyman, and then uh, also part of the mix, I would think Luis Perdomo, who spent a good amount of time in the uh, Padres rotation last year, Tyrell Jenkins, who's come on over from the Reds and, and Braves prior to that, uh, Zach Lee. So really just a lot, a lot of journeymen here in the mix. So I would think that it would give guys like Richard and Cahill and, and if Wood becomes part of the, the team as well, I think it would give them all a good chance to stick as starters. Now, because all three of those, Richard, Cahill, and Wood, were primarily relievers last season in leagues that have separate slots for starting pitchers and relievers, there's maybe a little bit of extra appeal there because you could use them in a relief spot and get starter stats. In those kinds of formats, typically head-to-head formats, Greg, do you have any interest in any of the three? Uh, it's funny you should say that because you said stick. So I was going to say this this rotation is going to almost be like a box of pasta. They're just going to keep putting stuff into the warm water and then throw it at the wall and see what sticks. Um, <laughs> of, the, of the three, I'm probably most interested in Cahill just because of the, the ground ball lean. Um, in the second half, he had a ground ball percentage of 61 and a half. Um, he only got one start with Chicago last year, but he did make it five innings. It was only three strikeouts and two walks, but only gave up two hits. You know, it was one of those, they wanted to give everybody a break. So he, he took the ball and ran with it. Um, but, but what I liked the most was that he kind of streamlined his, uh, his arsenal. So when he was working in relief, it was mainly his sinker, which is about 93 miles an hour on average corner in Brooks baseball. Uh, but he used his change and his curve. What, what was interesting is, is his change up as a reliever had a 42.9 uh, whiff per swing rate, and his curveball had a 49.1 whiff per swing rate. So of the three, he's the one that could probably at least give you some strikeouts and probably the most solid outings. Um, I'm a little worried about Richard um, just because of the low strikeout potential. I mean, he did make a couple of quality starts for the Padres down the stretch last year, but I just see him as a mid four ZRA kind of a guy with, with not really the strikeout appeal. And um, the same almost goes for Travis Wood because his whip percentages uh, compared to Cahill are, are about in half. So I, I don't know. I mean, Wood's a, Wood's a fire, but I just don't see him being uh, a, a great stream option. It would just depend on who they're playing and how they handle lefties. Well, Greg, this is awesome because we finally disagree about something. <laughs> I like Richard the best, and it's it's not even really close for me. I don't have enough confidence in Cahill to be – I think he'll be the best probably of the three as a strikeout pitcher, but I don't have enough confidence in him to be a real contributor in that category to really elevate him 
uh, among the other two. Now, there are some similarities. Both he and Richard have had some control issues, and both are very, very good inducers of ground balls. But the fact Mm -hmm. that Richard, at least at times, has had good control, and Cahill really never has, uh, I think that Cahill could really get himself into trouble. Not You mentioned the one start that was five innings, but I could see him as being very inefficient and maybe not being able to stick in what right now looks like a really weak Padres rotation. And I think Richard could stick, and again, he's not going to put up eye-popping strikeout ratios, not, maybe not even average ones, but I think the combination of the excellent ground ball ratio and um, the, at least the potential for average to better than average control. Um, I like his chances to, to stick better and to um, to have a, a low ERA. And so he could actually help an ERA and whip. Uh, again, it's, it's not the biggest, uh, uh, you know, sure thing with Richard, but I think in those kinds of formats, again, uh, a head to head points league where innings, can count more than strikeouts and ERA and, and whip can matter more. Uh, I think Richard could actually be pretty valuable as somebody that, again, you could put in a relief spot, get those starter innings from him. And uh, he could, he could be really, really helpful. I don't think I would need to draft him. I think he's off the radar enough, but uh, I'd want to get him onto my roster somehow. And then I would actually also put Travis Wood above Cahill. Cause I think this might be, the first time that Wood is really going to be in a venue that's going to play to his, his strengths as, as a fly ball pitcher who's given up a lot of home runs over his career. Uh, I know that Petco Park isn't the pitcher's park that it used to be, but as a lefty, I think he can neutralize the the impact, uh, uh, that the, the positive impact that the park has on lefty hitters and uh, allow the park to help him out against the righty hitters who typically do more damage against him. So is that a scenario that uh, that you could see happening with, with Travis Wood? It's possible. Uh, of course, the caveat with all three is how many innings can they last and how many innings will they be effective for? You know, they just haven't had the, the usage the last couple of years. So, again, that's going to be such a that, – that staff's going to be so fluid through the year. It's going to be uh, curious to see how everything uh, develops and how they try and hold things together to just get through this season. Yeah, well, and that, I think that's a good point. And again, you know, we're talking mostly about head-to-head points leagues. So if, if it mm-hmm. comes to a, a, a roto draft, uh, I'm certainly not going anywhere near those guys in, in 12 team. <laughs> probably, I mean, I know I'm stating the obvious here. Uh, yeah. 15 team, probably not either. Maybe just as a, as a reserve round flyer, I would give Richard a shot. Because again, I, I like how the situation could really be ideal for him in terms of being somebody who could help with ERA. And if I'm really stacked with, with strikeout pitchers, otherwise throughout my staff, he might be an interesting guy to, to take a flyer on and, and fill out uh, the, the pitching slots. But I think, you know, mostly we are talking about deeper than 15 team mixed, but, uh, and I think they certainly all could have some uh, appeal in, in NL only leagues. I know we often use that label as, sort mm-hmm. of uh, a way to, to really shower somebody with very faint praise. But, you know, if you play in the deeper <laughs> leagues like that, the, you know, the late round, sometimes it's really hard. I don't know, Greg, if, if you find this, but, you know, sometimes you really, you've exhausted your sleeper list in those deep leagues and you really have to dig to find some way to make those later picks not a complete waste. And I think here's a group of, of pitchers you could go to if they're still on the board and, and, and make that pick a useful pick. 
Yeah, that I mean that's a valid point because it's it you know sometimes these people sprinkle their rosters with all these guys in like double A and whatnot, and there's no there's no path to playing time for most of them. So you're going to carry dead weight all year in the reserve, or at least get a guy that you can stream once in a while when the matchups are positive or uh, if he's hot. Yeah, yeah. So you know, in, in those deeper leagues, you know, something to think about. Uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here, and I actually was going to save this this discussion for uh, after the break, but we've got a little bit of time here and we are talking about Padres here. And uh, I've got, since we've already disagreed on one thing here, I've got another bone to pick because in the second base rankings, you left Ryan Schimpf out. I put him up at number 21. So really elevated him a bunch uh, ahead of a bunch of players that you liked better than him and make a specific comparison here. I think he's a very similar hitter to Jed Jerko, the former Padre. You prefer Jerko. I prefer Schimpf. Uh What's the case for Jerko? Your boy Nando. No. Um. <laughs> well, that's, that's a pretty good reason right there. Nando would tackle me if I put Jerko below Schimpf. Um as, as much as Jerko, I, I don't know if the full power is going to come back. I just see Jerko having a better average and being a part of a better offense. I mean, um, Schimpf, yeah, he had a great breakthrough. The power was through the roof with 20 home runs in 89 games. But uh, I don't know. I, as the years go by, I get more and more averse to using a guy because he hit 217. But the, the nice thing is in an OBP league, that, that boosts up Schimpf a lot because he was able to carry a 336 OBP. I don't know. I mean, some, I think he's kind of a polarizing person because some people are kind of on him and they're interested in the power upside. But I, I don't know if we need to target power as much after last season. That's there's so many, there's so much gray area as far as Shimp goes. That's what kind of affected my uh, my valuation of him. Yeah, well, at third base and also I think to a little bit of a lesser degree at second base, both positions that that Shimp is eligible at. Uh, there, there is a lot of power. So, I mean, you could go Jerko at that point. You could go Brandon Drury. Um, yeah, I guess at second base, it's it's more, you know, there, there's more categories that you can target at that point. But, you know, Jan Hervis Salarte probably going late, and he's somebody you're probably drafting as much for power as for batting average. So mm-hmm. if that is something that you're looking for at either second or third base, uh, you make a good point about the batting average. And I think if you're going to make an argument for Schimpf, there's two really, or I mean, rather an argument for Jerker, there's two really good reasons. One is so that you don't upset Nando, which, you're, which is an argument you made. And the other is that Jerko, even though he's not a batting average contributor, will be less of an albatross probably than Schimpf is. But both are going to hurt you because they're both uh, swing for the fence kind of guys who are going to be probably low oh, yeah. Babbitt hitters. But I think that there's there was enough of an extreme there for Schimpf last year that there's some room for him to grow the BABIP, to grow the batting average, maybe cut back on the strikeouts a little bit, and that's another advantage I think that Jerko has over Schimpf. But if if they're even close in batting average, I think Schimpf is going to get more playing time, which is going to equalize the the run production concerns that you had, and uh, and and uh, just I think probably compile more counting stats because I think he's got a better shot at regular play than Jerko. So I do see them as similar. I go Schimpf, but you know, I think you do make some, some good points uh, on behalf of Jerko as well. So yeah, it's, it's quite that, possible. Yeah, Did, yeah I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you, do you see Schimpf hitting fifth? Uh, yeah, I think in that lineup, 
that um, that's probably or maybe sixth. Fifth, fifth or sixth, one of the two. Yeah. So you know that that uh, you know is not a bad spot for him either. So sorry, I almost cut you off there, but we do have to go to break, and we'll come back and uh, talk about a few other players uh, that we may have some rankings discrepancies on, and uh, and we'll wrap up. So uh, stay tuned. We'll come back with that. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and I'm joined today by Greg Jewett, my colleague and fellow analyst of FanRag. And uh, we're going to wind up here talking about some of our uh, well, some of our rankings, which are currently featured on FanRag. We've got consensus rank- rankings. So Greg and our colleague Jim Finch and I, uh, we submit uh, individual rankings, and then we uh, combine them together, average them out to give you one neat set of rankings. So uh, currently the third base rankings are up. And, of course, not just rankings, but we uh, reveal our sleepers, uh, our, our uh, overrated players, our, uh, our bus players, uh, potential uh, impact rookies and prospects at each position. So uh, if you go to FanRag, uh, please uh, do check that out. And uh, we haven't really had an opportunity because uh, we've just been on the air with this show for a week now. Uh, so I've talked a lot about third base this week because that's what's currently featured. But I haven't had a lot of opportunity to really go back and talk about some of the other uh, infield positions that we've already covered. And, Greg, you wrote a really, really nice piece a few weeks back or uh, maybe even a, a little more than that on Eric, uh, Eric Thames, who I almost uh, botched it again and called him Tims like Marcus Tims. <laughs> but... Uh, He's a tough, tough player to project because he's been out of Major League Baseball for some time playing in Korea. But you had a really interesting take on Thames. How do you value him, and how exactly did you arrive at how to value Thames? It's very hard because after you know the KBO, it's it's been okay as far as uh, determining how to value Jung Ho Kong, but. Um, we kind of whiffed so far on uh, Byung Ho Park, although that's becoming one of Nando's new boys. Um, so it's, it's almost a wild card, which is why if you, uh, if you search that article, it was Eric Thames as a lottery ticket, because at that point, um, that was the first like slow mock I did, uh, with a few writers from, uh, from Roto experts and a few other places and, uh, CBS and, um, you know, when he was picked, I was like, okay, because I was starting to look at him at that point. So I was like, all right, I, I had the right value on him, but what's, what, what can we expect from him? So um, one of the uh, projection places had his comps as Chris Davis and Jake Lamb, and we both, you know, even though Lamb collapsed in the second half last year, he still put together a nice season for, uh, for Roto, and we all saw what happened with Chris Davis finally staying healthy with the full playing time. And even in Oakland, his power translated. So um, as those guys, as his comp, I was just trying to, to see what um, all of the things coming from the KBO could mean. The, the best things helping him are Milwaukee's a very favorable park for left-handed batters. So, you know, I think people really overlook how good of a park uh, Miller can be for hitters. Um, it's definitely, he's going to get playing time. He's got pretty much the, the left side, no matter what platoon at first base going. Um, you know, he averaged a home run every 10.86 of bats in Korea. And I know they're smaller ballparks, and I know the pitchers are probably throwing mostly fastballs, but, you know, that's something that kind of raises your eyebrows. So 
Um, and thank you for referencing that article. And when I did that, that was, I think, before the steamer projection came out. And I arrived at about 255 to 265 batting average. I looked at about 70 runs. I had a range of 23 to 27 home runs with 70 RBIs and a handful, like, seven stolen bases. And then steamer came out more aggressive than I was, which shocked me because usually steamers pretty pretty tempered as far as uh, as their things. You know, just as an example, you talked about Schimpf. Steamer has Schimpf with only 21 home runs this year in 120 games as the pose. You know, so with 30 more games this year, he's only going to hit one more home run. That just doesn't seem to register. Yeah, no, I agree. I was uh, I think a lot of people were surprised by that Steamer projection. And, uh, you know, I like the way that you – you you know looked at all of the numbers you know both the KBO numbers and what uh, uh, Thames has done in uh, had done in, in uh, Toronto, and so you arrived at for first base. Now our outfield rankings haven't uh, been published yet. Those will be uh, in two weeks, right? I'm making sure that I'm on schedule right because next yeah, week a is week from stopping. tomorrow, yeah, a week week from tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, those those aren't out yet, but uh, for first base uh, where we are ranking him since he will. Uh, gain eligibility there uh, in short order. You have him ranked 17th. I have him 20th. So not really a huge discrepancy there. Uh, now, a player that we do have a very big discrepancy on, and I, I seem to be the odd man out, not only in terms of the three of us at FanRag, but as in the industry as a whole, is Javier Baez. And I left him completely off my uh, second base uh, top 30, I don't remember off the top of my head. He's, he didn't miss by much. Uh, I want to say maybe I have him 33rd. Um, but you had him 21st. Our colleague Jim Finch had him 19th. So you guys were pretty much in agreement there. Now I'm going to make my case against Javier Baez. And then I'm, I'm sort of, uh, well, I'm interested in, in what you see differently. So Baez, uh, you talked about, uh, and I'm trying to remember who you were talking about in terms of uh, Maybe it was Brandon Phillips, I think, uh, not being able to sustain a BABIP. Bias hit 301 on ground balls last season, which is what allowed him to have above average overall BABIP. Uh, he, but he's not particularly line drive uh, leaning or, or an all fields hitter historically. And the uh, hard hit rate, which I don't have in front of me, I think it was 29%, but it was something that was slightly below average. And then when you add on top of that, I'm not sure where Baez plays. And, of course, you know, with the great glove, you figure that he could get a, a fair amount of playing time just in a super utility role. But I'm not super confident of the playing time, especially since I have some real doubts about how well his bat is going to play. So that, for me, just in a, in a really improved second base pool, just didn't cut it for me for uh, for Javier Baez. So... What what do you see in Baez? Is it the playing time? Is it the skill set? Is there some part of this you see differently? Um, the well, I, when I did my because uh, Tommy Stoke asked me, uh, there was one time I was like, "Give me a player." So he was like Javier Baez. So I tried to put him under the hood as well. And you know, it, you you nailed the hard contact percentage. It was twenty nine point one last year. Yes, um, he was very <laughs> he was very he was very pull heavy. It was forty five point six. Um, yeah, the, everything seemed to kind of normalize with them last year. The biggest concern I had was I remembered all of those strikeouts in the world series and I did have that in there and I showed the big, I had the, uh, the, the pictures from the catcher's view of the uh, out away from a right-hander in the, in the bottom, in the bottom of the zone. And he's just getting pitch after pitch out there because he's chasing them. 
So, you know, the, your, your concerns are warranted. His, his OPS dropped in the second half. His slugging in the first half was 454, dipped to 390 in the second half. I mean, I think we're, I think we're kind of seduced by, because there was a point when he was a prospect that he was going to be a 30-30 type player. Um, I think 2020 right now would be fantastic for those who draft him. Um, he's basically there because last year he put up uh, he had the 14 home runs with the 12 stolen bases. And I think, I think he's going to, if as long as he gets the same amount of playing time, he can mash that or improve it a little bit. Almost like you were saying with Brandon Phillips, you know, when you can get home runs and you can get stolen bases, this sustains your uh, value. So your concerns being playing time, I still think Madden likes him. On, and I think he's going to move them all around the field, just like he did last year. And, you know, there's some people that are speculating. They don't think John Jay can last the center field. So maybe Baez can work his time into some playing time out there as well. Uh, it, it, it'll be interesting. I can't see him getting too far below the bats he had last year, but that's, that's, everyone's got their own opinion on that. But I think his ceiling is now at the 2020 range. I don't think he can really, I don't think he's going to go beyond that. Yeah, and I, you know, that's what I figure the appeal is that there is just enough power and you know just enough speed that uh, you know Baez does have uh, does have some appeal there. Now this week, as uh, I mentioned, we both mentioned the shortstop rankings are, are coming out. That's where I'm going to give uh, Baez some due, uh, and I did uh, did rank him uh, among my top 30 shortstops. But uh, on that note, Greg, we are just about out of time. So thank you so much for joining us. And look for uh, Greg's uh, writings and analysis on uh, on FanRag, and look for our, our rankings again. Uh, the shortstop rankings uh, coming up tomorrow, in fact. So uh, look for those. Thank you all for uh, for tuning in, and also thanks to uh, Pete Contadori, our producer today. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow, uh, actually with Jim Finch, our colleague. So please tune in then, and until then, uh, may your whip be low and your babbit be high.